All right, good morning. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 25 this morning. Uh, obviously, we're continuing our study of Mark's Gospel. Uh, and this morning, we will be considering the subject of forgiveness. Uh, and just real quick, thank you very much, uh, Pastor Steve, for filling in for me last week when I was sick. Uh, he found out, what, 14 hours beforehand that he would have to preach. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to do ministry with Stephen. Um, but anyway, Mark 11.25. Our, our verse this morning uh, comes at the end of a short discourse that our Lord gave concerning faith and prayer in verses 20 through 24. Um, now, I could have probably preached verse 25 two weeks ago with those verses, right? I could, have, I could have probably taken it all together since it is indeed connected with what came before. But I think that there's just too much in this verse to unpack and, and think through. And, and just to give you a little bit of a heads up, I'm going to be making some, like, some fine distinctions and nuances in this sermon uh, a couple of different times. So just bear with me because we, we, ne- we need to, to know them. Um, but in our text today, our, our Lord Jesus gives an addendum to the subject of prayer. Again, as I've already said, it's connected to what came before, but it also stands alone for our consideration. It's an addition, and it has to do with forgiveness. And I think we would all do well to take some time and meditate on what the Word of God has to say about forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that does not prize forgiveness. We don't. We don't prize forgiveness at all. Uh, Now, let's be clear, some people in our culture claim to value forgiveness and peace and reconciliation, right? But usually it's just something on their (laughs) t-shirt, right? That's usually how it goes, right? Nothing's more ironic to me than someone with a be kind t-shirt berating their waiter. You get what I'm saying? Like, we say we like kindness, we say we like forgiveness, but usually it's just a slogan for most people, and it'll become very apparent that it's just a slogan for most people the first time that anyone crosses them. We don't prize forgiveness in our culture. Um, For most, forgiveness is considered to be weak. We're told regularly and uh, regularly through example and sometimes explicitly that we are to hate those who hurt us. And this past week with all the stuff with Russia and Ukraine is not, not what we're seeing. We ought to hate those who harm us. And I'm not saying that there's not a time to take up arms. I'm not a pacifist. Jesus Christ was not a pacifist. That is not biblical. I'm not advocating for pacifism, but what we're seeing just in the last few days online at every turn, hate your enemies, not do war when you must, not defend what you must, but hate them. That's what we're told all the time. Beyond that, we're told that holding a grudge is normal, right? And that desiring revenge is a good thing. We're told to make others pay for what they've done to us. Essentially, I think we've been sold a bastardized version of our Lord's golden rule. We're told, do unto others as they have done unto you. That's what we're told. And, and we tend to applaud that kind of thinking. Right? Many of us have bought into this kind of thinking. But brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus shows us a different way. He shows us a better way. He shows us a way that honors the character of God and reflects him. It reflects his mercy, and we desperately need to be taught by our Lord and Master Jesus. And I say that we desperately need taught by him about forgiveness because we are daily catechized. We are daily taught by the world, and we're taught not to forgive. 
And so we need cleansing and renewing of our minds by Christ's word and spirit this morning on the subject of forgiveness. So with that said, now, if you would and are able, please stand with me for the reading of the inspired and errant and infallible word of God. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Our Lord says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your word. By it, you instruct us and rebuke us, encourage us, and reveal yourself and your glorious gospel to us. We are grateful for the privilege of sitting under the ministry of your word today. It is precious to us. But Lord, we are also weak and needy. You know our frame. You have mercy on us. And so we ask that you would have mercy. And as our loving Father, that you would grant to us understanding of your word. By your spirit, please open our minds and our hearts to receive the word. And grant to us also that we would, in faith, walk daily according to your word. Teach us and help us. Sanctify us, please. And show us our Lord Jesus, your only begotten Son. Have mercy upon us this morning. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so about some context here. Uh, you'll remember, or as I like to say, you'll pretend you remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago we looked at verses 20 through 24. Uh, and, and there we saw how our Lord Jesus used the withering of the fig tree that he cursed back in verse 14. And he used uh, that, that withered fig tree to launch into a teaching about faith. And after exhorting the disciples to believe in God, right, to believe that God is able to do anything that they ask according to his will, Jesus then applies that teaching to prayer. And he tells us that when we pray, we are to believe without doubting that God will grant us the requests that we have made from him or made of him. And if we do that, praying according to his will, then we will have our requests. And now having spoken of faith in prayer, our Lord adds one more thing. Forgiveness. He adds forgiveness. And he tells us that when we stand praying, we are to forgive. Now, just a quick word about that. What Jesus is referring here is not the only way to pray. It's not that you must stand when you pray. Uh, it was just the most common way uh, that Jews would pray is they, they would often stand in his day. It was actually so common that uh, some of the, the Jewish writers would refer to their times of prayer as standings, right? So we can understand our Lord to simply be saying, when you pray, when you pray. And he tells us that when we are praying, if we remember that someone has wronged us, the text says, if you have anything against anyone, we are to forgive. That is, when we're praying and it comes into our mind that someone has done something bad to us, and isn't it weird that that often happens while we're praying? I don't know, or maybe that's just me, but that happens often to me. Like you're sitting and you're, you're thinking through your life, and what should I be praying about, and who all do I know, and how should I be praying for them? And it comes into your mind that someone has wronged you. We must forgive. And that leads us to a huge question. What is forgiveness? Let's start there. What is forgiveness? Well, first we must note that forgiveness presupposes that sin has occurred, doesn't it? If there was no sin, there would be no necessity for forgiveness. 
And in this context, it is sin against you. Right now, let's be clear. All sin is first and foremost against God. Right? Psalm 51, King David, after having a guy killed, says to God, against you, you only, have I sinned. Right? What's he acknowledging? All sin is first and foremost against God. It is his law that has been broken before anyone else gets hurt. God has sinned against first before anyone else has sinned against. But in this context, I just wanted to affirm that, sin is primarily against God. But in this context, since Jesus is telling us to forgive, the fact that human beings are sinned against secondarily is what's being highlighted here. Right? You have been sinned against in this context, and so you are to forgive. And we all know what this is like, don't we? You know what it's like to be sinned against? Someone disrespects you in your home or at work. Right? Someone mocks you. Right? They make fun of you, but you're not laughing. Right? Someone steals from you, whether that be they phys- like they physically took something from you, or maybe they have emotionally stolen from you. That's a real thing. Again, some, someone, someone calls you a name. They tear you down with their words. You, they belittle you. Someone makes you feel awful. Or this, someone breaks their vows to you, breaks their word to you, and hurts you deeply. It's betrayal. You've been betrayed. Someone spreads a lie about you and harms your reputation. Many of us have experienced that. Uh, maybe someone even gets physical with you, physically violent, or, or, God forbid, crosses some sacred line with your body. We know what it's like to be sinned against. We could each give examples in our own lives of how we've been sinned against. For every kind of sin that there is, there is a way that we can be sinned against by others. And we each know the pain that that causes and the hurt that it brings and just the anger that burns within you. Right, The the thirst for vengeance that dwells in our hearts for the offender. It hurts to be sinned against, does it not? It hurts. And for some, it manifests itself in sadness. We know people like that. When someone hurts them, they tend to spiral into some kind of depression. But for many others, like myself, that hurt manifests itself in wrath. Wrath and hatred that burns toward the offender. When we're sinned against, the offender has incurred a debt. When we're sinned against, the offender has, has incurred a debt, a debt to us, a debt to the one who has been offended. I was actually talking with a dear brother about this a couple of days ago on the phone. We, something is owed, and we can't quite put our finger on what it is because often it's not money or property, right? Like, like theft like that, that's usually not the case when we're sinned against. But we know that they owe us something, and we can't quite put our finger on what it is, but they owe us Again, maybe it's tangible, maybe it's not, but we're all keenly aware when we're sinned against that that offender needs to pay something, somehow, for what he or she has done. That person is now in our debt, and we want payment. Right? We're the fair police. We want payment. This is fair. They wronged me. And we're owed something. And to forgive is to discharge the debt. You are owed. You have been wronged, and so a figurative debt is owed. 
And so to forgive someone then is to put the debt aside. It is to absorb the debt yourself. To forgive is to cast away the debt and not hold it against the debtor anymore. As John Gill said, to forgive is to pass by the offenses. To pass by the injuries done to you. It is to let them go. To forgive is to walk away from the debt. But listen, please please hear me. And this is so important because I think the evangelical church has done a bad job of this. Don't cheapen this. Don't cheapen forgiveness. And, And what I mean is this. So many people think that to forgive means that it wasn't a big deal. Right? And that's why, tell me if this isn't you, because this is me and my house and me and my wife have had to talk about this. When we offer forgiveness to others, someone comes to us and says, hey, what I did was wrong. What do we say? It's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. To say it's okay is like, ah, it's not that big of a deal, whatever. No. Sin has occurred. And sin is not okay ever for any reason. Let's not cheapen this for a moment. Forgiveness is a big deal, right? To forgive then, I would argue, and and I'm open for for pushback against this if anyone thinks that I'm in error. To forgive then is to put away the righteous demand for payment. it, it, It is a righteous thing to have been sinned against and feel as if you're owed. Hear me. A real objective wrong has been done. And a real objective debt is now owed. And the offender should pay because they really are actually guilty. But to forgive is to lay aside your rights as the offended one. And to cast the debt aside, absorb the debt yourself, and receive the offender back into a place of peace with you. That's what it means to forgive. Brothers and sisters, I declare to you, this is what God has done for us in Christ. If you're wondering, where's the Bible in all this? This is what God has done for us in Christ. By our sin, what have we done? We've incurred a debt to God, a debt of justice that we cannot afford to pay, a debt of damnation that we cannot bear to endure. And his anger against us for our sin was righteous. We have sinned against him. Please get this into your head. We must keep this in our minds. We really should have to pay for what we've done. We really should have to pay for what we've done. We really are objectively guilty of sin. But praise be to God in Christ. God himself absorbed the debt that we owed to him for our sin. This is the gospel. In Christ, God absorbed the debt. God the Son came to earth, took on flesh, and went to the cross to absorb the righteous wrath of God on our behalf by offering himself up through the Holy Spirit. God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put away the debt of sin that we owed so that we could have peace with God. God, hear me, God laid aside his right to damn us and instead absorbed the debt in Christ so that we could be accepted in Christ and received into fellowship with God. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, he says to Christians, and you, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How did he forgive us? He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. We owed him and he canceled the debt. He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. I heard a preacher expounding on this once said, God took the list of our sins, folded them up, placed them in the hand of Christ and drove a nail through it. This is how he forgave us. God himself did away with our sin. That, brothers and sisters, is forgiveness. To absorb the debt yourself, cast it away, do away with it, and receive the offender back into fellowship. To forgive. Hear me. It's hard. To forgive is to truly cease to hold the wrong or debt against the offender. You may remember it. You probably will but you no longer hold it against their account, right? And just real quick, a quick thing. People say, God forgets your sins. No, he doesn't. God's omniscient. God literally can't forget anything because then you'd know something that he doesn't know, and that means he's not God. When God forgets, it's figurative. He chooses to no longer hold it against your account. He forgets it, right? So that's what it means for us to forget the sins that have been done against us by someone when we forgive them. We put it away never to bring it up again, even if the same offense is committed a week later, to not bring the old one up. That's what it means to forgive. And this is what we see God doing for us. Isaiah 38.7, or rather 38.17, a forgiven man says, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. They're no longer in front of God's face anymore. They're behind his back. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. East and west never touch each other. By the way, you just keep going east and you'll keep going east forever. Even if you go around the earth 50 times, you're still going east. East and west will never touch. He's thrown them that far away. Micah 7.19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is good news. This is how God forgives us. He forgets our debt. He casts it away. He doesn't hold it against us any longer. And lastly, with this, to forgive, then, means to be reconciled. We're bad at this. I'm going to get into this in a minute. To forgive is to be reconciled. The debt's gone, right? You're not holding it against the person any longer. It's been figuratively forgotten. So what now keeps you from fellowship with the offender? Nothing. And listen, I'm not saying that there can't be extraordinary circumstances where this is insanely difficult and potentially even unsafe, right? I'm not saying that there cannot be extenuating circumstances, but ordinarily there is to be complete reconciliation here, a complete restoration of the relationship that was broken. It's restored now. 
where there is forgiveness given and received, there is a restoration of the relationship and peace between those who were once enemies. Again, this is what happens when we are forgiven by God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then forgiveness in its fullest form results in reconciliation. And our Lord Jesus tells us that we are to forgive. If we have anything against anyone, we are to forgive. When we are praying and we remember that someone has wronged us, whatever that wrong might be, however recent or distant it was, whoever did it to us, we are to forgive. And this talk of forgiveness now brings us to an important issue that we have to think through very carefully. And this issue is the issue of conditional versus unconditional forgiveness. I said we're going to have to make some nuances here as I teach through this text, and this is one of two nuances we have to make. Conditional versus unconditional forgiveness. Now, I'm sure many of you have never heard of such a doctrine as conditional forgiveness. It doesn't sound very Christian, does it? Conditional forgiveness. Uh, But in my studies, I've come to see that the Word of God speaks of forgiveness both in a conditional and unconditional sense. Uh, now, now, again, I know that might sound odd to many of you, but I hope that you hear me out. Be a good Berean, right? Measure what I say against the word. And I, but in doing so, I think you'll come to see that what I'm saying is grounded in Scripture. And truth be told, you probably actually already understand this to one degree or another. But first, let's address conditional forgiveness. And that just simply means there are conditions that must be met in order for forgiveness to occur. I came across this quote in my studies. I thought this was helpful. Forgiveness is a figurative handshake. You cannot shake hands alone. For forgiveness to happen, you need to seek out the offending party or the offended party if you are the offender. Extend your hand and pray that the other party will offer his or hers to you. I think that's good. I think that that's helpful. Forgiveness in one sense is conditional. And that's because you need two or more parties involved in order for forgiveness to take place. Um, Forgiveness must be extended and received in order for it to have taken place. But forgiveness is also unconditional in another sense. We'll get into that in a moment. But it's unconditional in that we are to hold out our hand before the offending party does and have a desire for them to reach out and take it. Let me reason through this briefly and then we'll consider a couple of texts of scripture. Uh, I don't believe that it is possible to forgive someone that doesn't want your forgiveness. And when I say it's not possible, I don't mean you shouldn't do it. I mean it's literally impossible to forgive someone that doesn't want your forgiveness. It cannot be done. It takes two people for there to be forgiveness. To say, hear me please, and this may offend some of you, but but I love you. uh, To say, I forgive that person and they haven't even asked for it, doesn't make sense. In In that case, you're forgiving the heir and not a person. Right? Forgiveness has not been received by them. What I mean is, is this. If you forgive someone, right? air quotes here, forgive someone, and then they say, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't need your forgiveness. I reject your forgiveness. Then forgiveness has not been given. Now, now hear me. Forgiveness has been extended and offered, but it's not been given because it's not been received. Forgiveness has not occurred. Because the person doesn't want it. The offender doesn't want it. 
Now, biblically, the condition for forgiveness is repentance. Repentance. The offender, the one who sinned against you, must repent in order to receive forgiveness. That is, they must come to you or you go to them and address it with them. Hey, you've wronged me. Right? We're all, we always have a responsibility here. Even if you're the one who's been sinned against, you have a responsibility to go to the one who sinned against you and address it. Right? And they have a responsibility to come to you. It, it's both ways. You always have some kind of responsibility in this, Christian. Just know that. But the offender must repent in order to receive forgiveness. That is, they must have a desire to be forgiven. And then you're actually able to forgive we see this, I think, in Luke chapter 17. I'm going to wait. Open your Bibles to Luke 17. I'm going to, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. I want you to see this. I don't want you just to take my word for it. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. I'll wait. You good? Some of you are just going to trust me. I can see it in your face. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, our Lord Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is a conditional statement. Right? We, we, we use grammar when we read the Bible. Right? We don't, we, don't, we don't throw all that stuff out the window. This is important. There are ifs in this statement. Jesus says, if your brother sins, and if he repents, then you must forgive him. And if he sins against you the same sin seven times in a row and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you forgive him. But it's conditional here, if he repents. So clearly there is a sense in which forgiveness must be requested in order to be given. And when requested, we are to forgive. Without question, we are to forgive. We are to cast aside the debt, absorb the debt, and receive the offender back into fellowship with us. Upon repentance, we are to, in a sense, act as if it never happened. We are to cast it behind our backs. We are to resume the sweetness and affection with the person that we had prior to the offense. That's what Jesus says here. And another text we have to consider about forgiveness is a very famous one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. The Apostle Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are to forgive like God forgave us. And God's forgiveness is conditional. It's conditional. Some of you, hear, some of you are afraid. David, are you a legalist? No, hear me out here. God demands of us repentance and faith in Christ if we are to be forgiven of our sins. Now, God has also graciously provided for this condition in the covenant of grace and that the Holy Spirit renews our hearts and gives us the gift of faith so it's still all of the Lord. He meets the condition that he sets, but nevertheless, the condition is faith and repentance. God's forgiving, forgiving sinners is not unconditional. Hear me out. If it were unconditional. If forgiveness from God was actually unconditional, everyone would be saved. There are no conditions. Everyone would be saved. If there was literally no condition whatsoever to be met, everyone would be saved. But what do we tell people when we preach the gospel? Repent and believe on Christ and you will be saved. What does that mean? If you don't meet this condition of repentance and faith, you will not be saved. 
Right? So again, God's, for, God's forgiveness is conditional in a sense. I bring that up to say this. God will not hold us to a higher standard than himself. He won't. God will not hold us to a higher standard than himself. God is the standard of all that is holy and righteous, and he demands repentance in order for there to be forgiveness. He will not demand us to do more than he will. And he does not forgive apart from repentance. Our God is not a hypocrite. He won't tell us to do something that he won't. So then, real forgiveness hinges on repentance from the offending party and the desire to forgive from the offended party. Now, why does this matter? Right, why am I spending so much time making this nuance, uh, making this distinction here? Um, well, it's not because I'm trying to give you an excuse to not forgive someone. Right? I think that would actually be a violation of our text in Mark 11. Rather, I want us to have a clear picture of what the transaction of forgiveness actually looks like. Right? Here's what I mean. So often Christians and even non-Christians will say things like this, but it's, it's really pathetic when you hear Christians say it. Uh, that person has never apologized to me, but I forgive them. But I'll tell you this, I'll never be their friend again. Some of you are grinning because you said it. I forgive them. I don't want nothing to do with them. Nonsense. That's not forgiveness. Let me ask you this. Is that how God forgives? No, it's not. When God forgives, there's a restored relationship. And Paul tells us we are to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, the purpose of forgiveness is restoration. That's the purpose of the whole thing. That's why God forgives us, so that he might adopt us and bring us into his home and make us his children. Again, this is what we see in the gospel. The purpose of forgiveness is a restored relationship. And in order for there to be a restored relationship, the offending party must repent. There must be a desire from the one who has sinned to be reconciled to the one who was sinned against. Without that, there will never be reconciliation. And where there is no reconciliation, there has not been the transaction of forgiveness. And I, I bring this up for pastoral reasons. Okay, so this isn't just like theory stuff. Let me, let me, let me, let me put legs on this real quick. There are many Christians, and I know some of you, there are many Christians who walk around each day with guilt. Why? Because they were sinned against. They see that the Bible tells them to forgive and be reconciled. But the relationship remains broken because the offender doesn't care. And so they walk around. The Christian walks around with all of this guilt. I should be reconciled to this person, but I'm not. So maybe I'm doing something wrong. right? In, in this scenario, the one who has been sinned against wants the relationship to be restored. They want to forgive. But the offender refuses to repent and so the relationship remains broken. And the one who was wronged feels terrible about everything, but should not. Should not feel wrong. Should not feel bad about anything. And that's because forgiveness in this sense is conditional. It takes two. It's a handshake. And the one who has sinned just simply doesn't want forgiveness. And as long as they refuse to repent, the relationship will remain fractured. And that is not the fault of the believer who was the one sinned against. So I say all that to say this. If this is you, if I've just described one of your relationships, you've went to the person. I want to be reconciled. And they say, I didn't do anything wrong to you. 
and you were actually sinned against, that relationship is going to remain busted up. And that's not your fault. That's why Paul tells us in Romans, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. What does that mean? Sometimes it won't depend upon you anymore. And you can't be at peace with all men because they don't want to be at peace with you. And that's not your fault. So be at peace if I've just described your situation. So with that said, I hope that you see forgiveness in one sense is conditional. The offender must repent. The offender must desire forgiveness. And that's the only way that forgiveness can actually be given and reconciliation begin. And when there is repentance, we are commanded by God to forgive automatically. Period. You forgive. But now having considered conditional forgiveness, let's move to consider unconditional forgiveness. We've already seen from Ephesians 4 and Luke 17 that there's a sense in which forgiveness is conditional, but the kind of forgiveness that our Lord is speaking of in Mark 11 seems to be unconditional. Right? So notice in our text that the person who has sinned against you is not present. They're not, they're not there. You are at prayer. The offender is not mentioned as being present, nor is he mentioned as being repentant. But the command for you to forgive is still there. So this must be an aspect of forgiveness that is unconditional. And I think that most of us already understand this one. Our Lord here is speaking of the desire to forgive. That has to be unconditional. What he's speaking of here, I think, is the heart work that must be done prior to actually extending and bestowing forgiveness upon someone. This is, and again, we're, most of us are familiar with this, this is forgiveness that is in the heart. It has to be there regardless of whether or not the offender has repented or ever will repent. We could put it this way. The forgiveness our Lord is commanding us all to unconditionally have is a sincere goodwill toward those who have hurt or wronged you. We are to desire good things even for those who have harmed us. Chief among those good things would be repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order for you to have goodwill towards someone, what must you do? Put away your grudges and put away your hatred. Dare I say it, in a sense, you must forgive them from the heart, even if you have not been able to forgive them to their face because they don't want forgiveness. You must put away bitterness. You must desire to be reconciled to them. We're told to pray for them, I think. Instead of making a complaint about them to the Lord, we are instead to pray for them and also pray for ourselves that we would have this goodwill toward them. Again, this is heart work. This is an attitude of forgiveness. This is a disposition of the heart toward the offender. And it happens in us before the other person ever asks and in spite of whether or not they ever repent. Not the risk of sounding like I'm contradicting what I said earlier, let me say this. What our Lord commands here, in some sense, I know I'm repeating myself, but I want to be clear. What he's commanding here is that we have already forgiven the person in our hearts. We've already laid aside our rights to make them pay. Why? Because you don't want them to pay. You want to forgive them instead. You don't want them to pay. You want the relationship to be restored. You want to put away the debt. You want peace. And with this attitude, you're waiting and ready to bestow forgiveness as soon as they repent. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of God. Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. What's Jesus teaching us in that verse? He says God has a good disposition, a gracious disposition toward the sinner. We read in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God, God's revealed will, and again, his revealed will versus his secret will, this is tough theological stuff, but let's just take the text for what it says. God's revealed will is that he desires to forgive sinners. He desires repentance from all men. He says here in Ezekiel that he does not delight in the enmity that men have toward him. He does not delight in the estrangement that he has with sinners, and neither should we. Neither should we. We are to be like our heavenly father and be at the ready to forgive those who have sinned against us just as he is at the ready to forgive all who will repent and believe upon Christ. Again, our Lord is commanding us to have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who have sinned against us. R.C. Sproul put it this way. We are to be standing ready at any moment to forgive literally any offense if the offending person repents. Amen. That's what Jesus is telling us here. So then we are to forgive both conditionally and unconditionally. Conditionally to the sinner when they repent so that the relationship can be reconciled, but unconditionally from the heart because we desire to be reconciled to them. And we put away our grudges and our hatred toward them even before they repent. But why are we to do this? That's always the question I like to ask, why? Well, Jesus gives us a reason in our text. He says, Mark eleven twenty five, Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. We are to forgive so that, or in order that, we are forgiven ourselves. Now, this takes some explaining, doesn't it? Right, and like I said, I have to make two sets of nuances here, and here's the second one. We must make a distinction between the two kinds of forgiveness that God gives. This will really help you read your Bible, I think. The two kinds of forgiveness that God gives is first, judicial, and secondarily, parental. The first is a judicial forgiveness. This is what we're probably most familiar with talking about. This is the forgiveness of a courtroom setting, the forgiveness of a judge, Legal forgiveness. In this scenario, God is our judge and we need pardon. In this scenario, we are not his children. We are simply wicked sinners in need of salvation. And we stand before his court, guilty of sin and headed to hell to undergo eternal damnation and condemnation. And we need legal forgiveness. We need to be justified. There's the Bible word for it. Legal forgiveness. I need legally declared righteous in the eyes of the judge. That's what I need. That's what you need. We need to be judicially forgiven of our sins. And the Bible tells us that this happens through faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 5.1, again, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared legally righteous by God, by faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the judicial forgiveness that we need. 
Romans 8.1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, no more legal condemnation for our sins. We're in Christ. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, this is legal. A legal declaration of righteousness. And because of this, we are saved from the wrath of God. And this is a one-time legal declaration from God that will never, ever be undone. It'll never be undone. God forgives us legally, and then he takes us out of the courtroom and into his home. Ephesians 1, adoption. You were in the court under his wrath. He declares you righteous, pardons your iniquities, and says, now get in the car, we're going home. And he becomes your father. He adopts you through Jesus Christ. That's judicial forgiveness. And the second kind of forgiveness then is parental. That's why I started talking about adoption there for a second. Parental forgiveness is the forgiveness of a father toward his children, not a judge toward the sinner. Again, we've been adopted. We're members of God's family and will never be removed from that family. Look closely at our text in Mark. Jesus calls God our father. Your father who also is in heaven. It is from our father that we need forgiveness. Not a judge, our father. The kind of forgiveness that Jesus speaks of here is the forgiveness that children need from their father when they sin. We do not need judicial forgiveness as Christians. That's already happened. Our sins have been blotted out in the blood of Christ. We will never be damned. But we do need parental forgiveness. Why? Because we still sin against our Father. Brothers and sisters, our sin hinders fellowship with God as his children. Again, this doesn't have to do with our salvation, but as John MacArthur says, this has to do with the joy of our salvation. Please hear me. Let me encourage you. I know some of you uh, uh, struggle with the assurance of your salvation. You never need to fear that your father is going to kick you out of his house. He doesn't do that. He doesn't. If you have actually come to Christ in faith and been adopted, you will not be kicked out of the home. When God's children sin, hear me, when God's children sin, he does not put us back in the courtroom and put us under the sentence of death. He doesn't put us back in the courtroom and say, all those sins that I had, I had pardoned, they're back on you now. He doesn't do that. His gifts are without repentance. That is, he does not repent from giving his gifts of justification. His forgiveness is much better than that. We're actually justified. Perish the thought that our father would ever disown one of his children. But, but nevertheless, when we sin, our fellowship and happy communion with God is broken. In a sense, our communion with God is broken. Again, we have lost not our salvation, but the joy of our salvation. And by our sin... We are now subject to the fatherly displeasure of God. What the author of Hebrews talks about, the discipline and chastening of God. This discipline that is designed to cause us to repent and return to him. And by God's infinite grace, he forgives us as soon as we repent, doesn't he? He forgives us. That's why we, as Christians, hear me, have you ever wondered this? If all my sins were forgiven the moment that I repented and believed in Christ, then why are there so many texts in Scripture that seem to be addressed to me about me being forgiven of my sins as a Christian? 
It's because you need parental forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor Steve likes to read that to us almost every week before we take the Lord's Supper. I'm not making fun of him. I need to hear that every week. And so do you. And listen, that's written to Christians, people who are already justified. And the we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's written by the Apostle John. He includes himself in it. In this we that needs forgiven. And John understands justification. He understands he's already been justified. We need parental forgiveness. And, he's, and God is quick to give it to us once we repent. So again, we only need judicial forgiveness once. But we need parental forgiveness all day, every day. And praise God, he gives it to us because he desires us to have close fellowship with him. Now let's tie this together. This is what these doctrines have to do with our text. All right, so let's get practical here. Back to our text. We need daily parental forgiveness if we are to have close communion with our Heavenly Father. But Jesus here very plainly tells us that if we do not bestow forgiveness and or desire to forgive others, then our fellowship with God will be disrupted and he will not grant us that closeness that we desire with him. Now, why? I'm sure there are many reasons, but let this one suffice for this morning. He doesn't forgive us of our sins if we don't forgive others because it would not be fitting. Why should he forgive the unforgiving? Why should he have mercy on his merciless children? What I mean is this. Why should God encourage us in our hypocrisy and sin? For God to grant us feelings of closeness and intimacy with him. For God to grant to us his fatherly smile and we are persisting in the sin of unforgiveness. For him to encourage us, for him to, to, to bless us still, is to encourage us in that sin. And that wouldn't be fitting. And he won't do that. Brothers and sisters, if we desire close fellowship with our Heavenly Father and everyone who has been born again does, then we must imitate him and forgive. And if we don't, then we can only expect his fatherly displeasure and discipline. We must forgive so that we will be forgiven. But there's another reason that we're to forgive, and it's not in our text, but I can't preach about forgiveness without mentioning this. We forgive because we have been forgiven. I know I've made a whole lot of, of, of fine distinctions, but if I've lost you, tune in here. We need to hear this badly. This, this, applies, this will apply to your marriage. This will apply to how you deal with your kids and your grandkids and your people you work with, the people within this church that tick you off, right? Like this will apply to everything. Please hear me. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have been forgiven, and that is to motivate us to forgive others. God has absorbed our debt in Christ. You know you're a sinner, don't you? I'm, I'm serious. I hope each one of us who have been justified by faith in Christ, you know what you are, don't you? If you don't know that you're a sinner, then know that you're not a Christian. 
Do you know what you are? You know you're a wretch. You know, as we confess in our corporate prayers, you've sinned times without number. You know that there is no commandment that you've not broken in some way. You know that you've been the offender of God's holy law. And you know that you've sinned against men as well. And yet here you sit, alive and well, not dead or damned. Why? Because God had mercy on you. Because God forgave you. You've sinned more than you recognize. And yet here you are because God laid aside his right to damn you and instead absorbed the debt of your sin in his son and forgave you. That's why you're here. How then can we, who have been forgiven for so much, how can we refuse to forgive others? Perish the thought. Like that is hypocrisy of the highest order. Please hear me, and I'm preaching to myself on this because God has revealed to me in the last year that I don't like to forgive people as much as I thought that I did. And dare I say it, I'm not the only one. But please hear me. How dare we sing and weep and praise God for his mercy and forgiveness that we've received and we glory in it, and then we turn around and hold grudges and hate and be bitter toward those who have wronged us. Think about how ugly that this phrase is, and I've used it a few times before. Mercy for me, but not for thee. How ugly is that? It's evil. It's unbecoming of a forgiven child of God. That is not befitting a member of God's house. But so often we don't want to forgive our spouses, our parents, our siblings, even our own children. We don't want to forgive, but we want to be harsh, and we want to hold a grudge, and we want to be merciless, and we want to hold their wrongs against them. Brothers and sisters, that ought not to be named among the saints of God. We have been forgiven. So then let us forgive. So often we don't want to forgive because we don't realize or remember just how much we've been forgiven. So what we need to do is we need to put our sin at the front of our minds and then remember the cross of Christ where God forgave them all. Please please hear this. If you're a note taker, write this down. If not, get this tattooed on your arm, whatever you got to do. Your sin against God is infinitely worse than what they've done to you. Remember that and forgive. In light of all this, I will be brief. I have questions for you for application. First, do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to forgive someone? They've offended and they've repented, but you've been withholding forgiveness in your heart. Repent to God. Forgive that person in your heart and then go and forgive them to their face. Or second, do you need to let go of bitterness and hatred in your heart? And begin to exercise the unconditional forgiveness we've talked about. You've been sinned against, but the offender hasn't repented. Dear Christian, you are to adopt a willingness to forgive. So you must repent. And put the bitterness away as you look to the cross of Christ. And then go to the offender and tell them that they need to repent because you want to be reconciled. On the other hand, a third question Do you need to ask for forgiveness from someone that you've wronged? Throughout this sermon, you've been thinking, no one's really done much to me, but I know that I 
shouldn't have done X to that person. Listen to me. You say, well, that's not in the text here. I, I don't care. If we're to forgive, then surely we're to seek forgiveness, are we not? Do you need to ask someone for forgiveness? If so, then repent to God and then go and seek reconciliation. Or lastly, do you think that you cannot forgive? This is real. You think you can't forgive. You see that you should, but the pain is deep because the sin was heinous. And you say, I'm so hurt. I see that I should forgive. Part of me wants to forgive, but I don't think that I can. Dear brother or sister, hear me. You can. You can. Not in your own strength, but the Lord will help. So my counsel to you from the word then is to commit yourself to attempt obedience to Jesus here and pray. What did we learn two weeks ago in verses 22 through 24? Pray according to his will with faith and he'll do it. And what is his will? Your sanctification, that you would walk in obedience to him, that you would forgive as God in Christ forgave you. That is his will. Pray in faith. He will help you to forgive even the worst hurt. And likewise, remember your sin in the cross of Christ where you were forgiven. In closing, let me just say this. May God help each one of us to forgive others as we have been forgiven by God. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word that, um, that is deep and makes us think and makes us uh, have to make uh, nuances and, and distinctions and things. And we, we thank you. Your word is, your commandment is exceedingly broad, as the psalmist said. And God, we also thank you for how your word exposes us and exposes the ugliness and bitterness and sin that's in our hearts. But also how your word points us to Christ, who is the remedy for all of that. Lord, we thank you for forgiving us. We ask that you would teach us to forgive. It is not natural to us to forgive. It is something that only you can work in us to truly forgive. Have mercy on us and help us to be like you. Amen.